0: Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and this week, a special episode. I am joined by my two awesome co-hosts and a guest.
1: Laura Nash.
0: Shane Kelly. And once again, as has become a tradition on the show, we are joined for our Apple Design Awards episode by Mark Bramhill. Mark, thank you for joining us. Glad to be here. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, welcome back, Mark. So if yeah. you don't know Mark and his work, uh, Mark has, well, first of all, Mark's Mark's most important work is that every year he comes on our podcast to talk about the Apple design. Oh,
1: definitely the (laughs) thing that people put in his bio on Twitter. It says, once a year guest on Short Game.
0: Yeah, but Mark is also a producer for Bird Note uh, and host of the incredible Welcome to Macintosh podcast, which I dearly love. Um, and his work has also appeared on uh, shows like 99% Invisible. Uh, if you listen to a lot of podcasts, you've probably heard his voice someplace. And um, Mark, th- thanks and welcome back to the show. Glad to be here. Yeah. His work also appears
2: on the emoji keyboard. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Creator That's of the true. person in lotus position emoji. So mm-hmm. Very important. Uh,
1: that is how I introduce you personally.
2: Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I use it every day. Uh, and <laughs> as I mentioned,
0: we are uh, we're talking again about the Apple design awards. We kind of do this every year. Um, so if you're interested in the show notes, I'll have links to past years, Apple design awards podcasts. Uh, but, uh, the Apple design awards, if you're new to the show or new to that is a, is an award that Apple gives out every year at WWDC, their uh, worldwide developers conference, which happened last week in California. And, um, The Apple Design Awards have been going for many, many years. And going back into their deep history, they were awards for good design in Mac apps. And of course, as Apple has changed, so have the awards. And um, now they're pretty much exclusively awards for design in iOS apps. Uh, They don't even really seem to give awards for Mac or tvOS or watchOS or anything like that. Do you think they'll do it for iPadOS? I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. yes, I think that <laughs> yes. they will. But I wonder if they'll split that out. That's something maybe we should we should talk about. That's an interesting question. This year, they gave awards to five different iOS games. And so we're going to start by just chatting a little bit about those. And then uh, at the end, we're going to talk a little bit about what these games and Apple's choice to give these games awards means about Apple in games and Apple's strategy with games. So let's start with the first one, The Gardens Between
1: we did a whole episode on the gardens between uh, recently but we were complaining that we wish it was on the ipad and lo and behold it is now on the ipad uh, for me, the Gardens Between is it's that uh, you kind of got this time rewinding mechanic where you go back and forth and there's all these found islands, um, well, islands of found objects, rather, um, that you are traversing uh, to turn on various lanterns. It's really lovely. Uh, I think they are always give it to a port or two. This here is port heavy, so you'll hear the word port quite a lot.
0: Yeah, I think I looked through the list and totaled it up and... First of all, every single thing that got an award this year is multi-platform, and most of them are ports from other systems that, you know, started on something else and came to the iPhone, which is unusual. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're seeing a shift here. I mean, we we can talk a little bit towards the end about, like, where we think Apple is in games, but I think that's a pretty important thing to note. Like, this is a port that started on PS4, Switch, Xbox One, and made its way to iOS months later. It came out on the switch in September of last year. and it came out on iOS in May of this year. But it is a really lovely port. so if the, if this is a game that passed you by last year and you're looking for something to play that is you know really beautifully designed but is also kind of a uh, like a mechanically light experience um, with like really interesting, striking visuals. I mean, I can see why they gave an award to this, but uh, it is also, you know, um, I mean, we don't probably need to spend too much time talking about it since we did an entire episode on it uh, back in September of last year. It does make me think a little bit about this new Playdate console because yeah. I'm thinking that mechanically the most hyped game for me, which is the one from the creator of Katamari Damacy, actually mm. looks a lot like Gardens in Between mechanically. It's where you're, doing this sort of rewinding time mechanic, but you'll be doing it with that little tiny hand crank on the side. So uh, I, I think this is a, a style of game that, uh, or maybe a, a game trend to watch is these kinds of uh, one button uh, puzzle games
2: or one yeah, one I, analog control puzzle games. I had the same thought about it. Just uh, since I, I hadn't played this game, um, but I had... Been excited about the play date, and so when I saw this, I was like, "Oh, this reminds me of of this thing," which I I knew, which is kind of an odd way to to come about it. But yeah, no, it definitely seems like a familiar uh, kind of gameplay mechanic.
1: Yeah, I think it's really lives or dies on the inventiveness of the design. Honestly, I want to design a word for a reason. It's got a bunch of weird oversized honey guys from the kids objects, and that makes it even more special that you go back and forth in time because really the puzzles are pretty straightforward.
0: Yeah. And there's some ADA bait in there. They have a whole oh, level yeah. based around a uh, Matt Classic. Oh, <laughs> that's true. I forgot about that. Yeah. I um I don't know if that's the kind of thing that Apple looks for, but I mean, you know, can have can't hurt or not.
1: It cannot hurt. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a it's a neat game. But yeah, again, we don't need to spend too much more time talking about it since we did a whole episode on it. Although Shane, now that you mention it, uh, the play date, uh, we should plan a podcast about that once it's in everyone's hands. Uh, we'll yeah. see how
1: many of those are created because I might, if there are only like 50 of them that get sent out, maybe we will never get caught. Oh,
0: yeah. No, I, I'm going to pre order as soon as there's an option to yeah, do it. But uh, yeah. I heard there's, they're only producing 30,000. I
1: get nervous by the words very limited run.
0: Yeah. We'll yeah. see. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the market is for the play date. A, you know, $150 uh, sort of boutique handheld that plays or potentially will only ever play these 10 games or whatever that come with it. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Uh, I, don't, I don't know whether it's going to be, like, difficult to get your hands on or whether they're going to be, like, I don't know. I, it, it will probably kind of be something where if you want one, you need to get your pre-order in when they become available. So I will be doing that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The next game on the list is uh, Ordea. And Ordea is a one, sort of one finger swipey action. I, w- I wouldn't go so far as to call it a puzzle game because it's not really it's not really about puzzles. It's more of an action game. And it's from a yeah. developer called Loju. Um, and of the ones that I tried for this, like I had not heard of Ordea before the awards, which is a little unusual, actually. Most of the time, the games on the list for the Apple Design Awards are circulated well or widely enough that I've heard of them months before the awards. And in this case, I don't know if I just missed it or what, but I wasn't aware of this game. I'm glad I checked it out. It's pretty cute. To me, I had kind of the feel of a puzzle platformer without the actual platforming. You know, It, it, it takes this mechanic that Angry Birds pioneered of, uh, of a swipe to, to launch And it applies it to a puzzle platformer in a way that, you know, I think feels really natural and good on a on a mobile device. So it's a it's a great example of a game that has some mechanical fun to it and, uh, you know, visually pleasing and, and, you know, works well on Apple style hardware.
1: Yeah, the game that I thought last year might have gotten an award, but it's really super gross, so I completely understand why Apple stayed away from it, and it's also maybe about polyamory, <laughs> is called Spit Kiss, where you're basically flinging spit around the screen. Same mechanic, <laughs> uh, but there's no rest stops. So sp- if you're looking, Ordi is much more relaxing because there's rest. Uh, yeah, Spit Kiss is um, a adorable gross-out fling game (laughs) this is a much chiller uh blue tone (laughs) relaxy game so um i was shocked how much the mechanic is basically the same but this one got a design award i think because it's just a little bit more uh polished spit kiss is intentionally rough but it did. Mm. It was a bigger hit, um, if you can call a tiny indie platformer about polyamory on the iPhone <laughs> a hit.
2: <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really fun. Um, very simple mechanic um, for the whole game, uh, and the a- aesthetics of it I thought were they're very very cute, um, and it's very polished. But um, uh, as you get through the game, then like. The different worlds, there's a few new types of, like, challenges and puzzles that you kind of have to work through. But a lot of it felt mostly the same, um, where it didn't feel like it had as much depth to it as I might have liked. Um, but it was fun. Um, there's a few different ways you can play it, whether it's time trials or the main levels. And there's some bonus things you can unlock. But it's definitely a pretty straightforward game all the way through uh, where I might have liked to see a little more variance in how the world works between the three kind of universes or worlds that you have to go through in the game.
1: Yeah, I think the main level-laying mechanic is to decrease the frequency of the checkpoints, which is not something I am a huge fan of in puzzle games. They often take long breaks before I play more levels. So I think mm-hmm. this one assumes that you are playing and advancing rather in a compressed time period because to me i I think difficulty ramping up is great moving up the frequency the checkpoints not always so much because you're going through a lot of boring stretches so that's my one complaint about the most of the time it's really you know a pretty pleasant journey there's a lot of little creative obstacles they do change up the enemies for lack of a better word but i do wish they hadn't principally change the difficulty by letting you save less frequently it it does make me less likely to stay with a puzzle game
0: yeah uh uh, we have been sort of praising very vaguely the art style of this and i will uh, elaborate by saying that what I really liked about the visuals here is that it sort of looks to me like a playable, like Aloha shirt or something. You know, yeah, I was uh, going to
1: say a really nice tea towel from Etsy and yeah. a, like a $40 towel that you only get for Christmas. And you're like, yeah, this is nice. This is nicer yeah. than anything else in my apartment. And to that's me, what it looks
0: really, like. really resembles. Um, there's a game that came out on the Switch. I know we talked about a bit on the show tumble seed. I was just going to say 17. Yeah. It, it has a lot in common visually with tumble seed. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a whole, you know, it, it really turns this little blue circle into a bit of a character by, you know, slapping an eye on it. And, yeah. It's a cute uh, little a sort of weird blob setting. with one eye, but yeah. Uh, and another thing I was going to mention about it is that it's a, uh, you know, we mentioned that it's sort of a one finger gameplay, but it's also vertically oriented, which not, you know, not all of the games on the iPhone are obviously. And, um, I think one finger or thumb playable vertically oriented iPhone games are an important niche because there are a lot of situations where I only have one hand and can't play something with a controller. And this is really, so this is something I could literally play while, you know, holding a baby and things like that, which has been coming up for me more and more frequently lately. So, uh, I I like that about it. I was a little surprised that, I mean, think there's a bit of a sidetrack, but I was a little bit surprised that Hold Down didn't make it into this list. Because for me, yeah. Yeah, that was that the one I thought one was gonna be game of the hit. year. Like the one handed. I played a ton of Hold Down, and it sort of filled that the niche that this game, I think, also was looking to occupy for me. In-
1: and super, super polished, too. I mean, Hold Down really did have that extra oomph that we look for in a design award. I kind of get it, but it, it just. I. I'm surprised because normally it it did feel elevated and it was premium, so it's a bit of a shame it missed out.
2: Yeah, it is a bit of a shame. Discriminating against the communist worm, of course.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in a sense, though these have uh, these have that in common. This uh, this that has the uh, the worm as the protagonist, whereas uh, this had those horrible chicken worms as your antagonists that would eat you. Those things were actually like legit unsettling.
2: Yeah, no the. The enemies are pretty gross, but the your your little character, the little green glob with an eye on it, especially the I did like when you fail and get destroyed, then you can see all the like little particles of the your primordial ooze just fall down, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. and the little animation that he does when he finally escapes the level is also oh yeah really great. So it's it's beautifully animated. I like that a lot about it. Um, the next game on the list is. Probably the biggest surprise for me on <laughs> on the list of uh, Apple Design Award winning games, and I, uh, I okay. So the uh, the next award winner <laughs> is Asphalt Nine Legends from GameLoft, and if you're uh, if you're an iOS gamer, you probably already know the Asphalt series because I mean there have been nine of them um, over the years, and they are a very long running multi platform uh, sort of. At least these days, free to play racing game with uh, sort of characterized by very flashy, uh, you know, high end looking graphics, but uh, supported by a sort of freemium or free to play game design that I think kind of sucks. Um, Mm. (laughs) Why is this here?
1: I will say that they could have, like, people who like this game. I, I tried to do some research, and people who like the series were like, oh, they actually improved a lot of the mechanics. It now has 60 FPS support. There's a lot of new modes. Like It's maintained. Uh, it's incredibly popular. I, I feel like, really, it's here because it it's kind of got the Infinity Blade thing, but Infl- <laughs> Infinity Blade was premium, and this is, as a, it is called in the outline, freemium trash. So oh i don't know like it if this didn't have a freemium i would see 100 percent why this won but it just feels like hey we need to show something that uses a lot of our fancy graphic engines and this is what they grabbed because none of the others really are i mean gardens between yes some of the fancy graphic engine this is the show off and i kind of wish it wasn't here but it does show off the graphics
0: I mean, you don't really think that the the engineers that are sitting there behind the scenes at Apple and looking at these games that come in using these incredible technologies like, you know, metal graphics and their new custom built uh, graphics chips and all that stuff. They're sitting back there and they're like, hmm, guys, I'm so excited that Dr- Downwell came out, you know, like <laughs> I, I don't you think those black and white pixels just really show off how. How much uh, of our time and, and lives
2: power. and, and yeah.
0: love we put into uh, this custom graphics hardware. So, I mean, obviously, they want to show off something that has awesome graphics, and this does. So, there you go.
1: Also, apparently, it has like the most driving controls in any driving series ever, or something like that. There's just apparently like 18 billion ways you can control your car, which might also be considered innovative.
0: Yeah, probably now, including the. Uh, PS4 and Xbox controllers are now on that list. Oh, yeah, I want to oh, talk yeah. about that in a minute. That's very exciting to me. Um, the Yeah, when I played play a little bit of this game, um, it defaults to a control scheme, which is basically like the car drives for you and you swipe left or right to decide whether you're turning left or right. And you get like <laughs> fully a minute to make that decision as you approach intersections. You also drift. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, I, I think so. Yeah, Shane, you're you're absolutely right. Like this is something where they want to show off their, you know, they're they're making the most advanced mobile GPUs in the world, <laughs> and they consider that a huge advantage over similar platforms like Android. And uh, you know, they're right to do so. It's a, they're doing amazing stuff with their silicon. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
0: but like, yeah, it, what it's it just a it's a real shame that they're producing these incredible gaming devices. And yet the only way to, the only way to support producing a game that actually like really uses that hardware in, to any real extent is to use this business model that the freemium, you know, business model that's just not interesting to me. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to feel like a whiner, but it is like it, 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 this feels sort of emblematic of like, this is what you have to do in order to have a reasonable business making graphically intense games
2: on iOS. I briefly downloaded this. Um,
1: and then and you were like, get this off, off. Yeah, my made, phone?
2: I made it through like the demo uh, of it. And then the, the menu was loaded up and just the, I felt entirely overwhelmed by how many rectangles with small text just appeared on my screen oh, for what I wanted to do. And, uh, could tell that this was going to be just like any other uh, kind of racing game, or and reminded me of console racing games that I also didn't like. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, not not my thing. Not my thing. Yeah.
0: Uh, one thing we can say about it is that I think this appeared on stage uh, at WWDC as one of their uh, example games that they they brought in the Game Loft team to use Catalyst to which is the new technology that they debuted at, I mean, it's leaked obviously way before that, but the new technology that, that they're making available for folks to port iOS games or not just games, excuse me, but like iOS apps over to Mac OS. Mm-hmm. And this was one of the games, one of the apps that they, uh, they showed that with. And the team at Gameloft said that they were able to port this really graphically intense game from iOS over to Mac in about a day, which is an impressive thing to see. Um, so, you know, we can hope then that, uh, that that'll encourage people to produce more graphically interesting games on iOS if that also opens up the Mac market to them. But I don't know, the Mac market is so tiny for games and, you know, uh, (laughs) the famously great Mac gaming market. I know. So like, sure, it probably helps. Uh, but I mean, if there was Catalyst to develop on iOS and bring to Windows, I think that would probably make a much bigger dent or, you know, to bring to other platforms mm-hmm. like. But, you know, now that a- Apple has uh, has stopped supporting or deprecated support for OpenGL on their platforms, it's only getting harder for folks to justify building multi-platform releases that even hit iOS. So, um, you know, hopefully we, we're going to talk in a little bit about how Apple seems to have a new strategy for gaming and Maybe some of this stuff will turn around, but uh, yeah, it, it's Asphalt Nine Legends is interesting in that it is emblematic of so many problems with Apple's gaming strategy <laughs> over the last few years that uh, it, it's it's hilarious to see it on this list of games that they're giving an award to. It's uh, anyway, let's move on. Hello, yes. Uh, next game on our list is Elo, uh, Elo, or is it Elo? I don't know what or, how we're pronouncing it. Hello, Probably hello. Hello. Yeah. Hello is more
1: charming. Let's go with that. Hello.
0: Hello uh, is uh, from the developers of Old Man's Journey, which we talked about a couple of years ago, won an Apple Design Award uh, previously. So, this is a two time winner. Pretty interesting. Uh, but this is a very different game. Uh, so, this is more of a puzzle game. I haven't played this one. Um, Mark, you have, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a puzzle game where uh, you have to arrange uh, various blocks to be able to sends, uh, these little various colored balls into the right, uh, pocket at the end. And it's just kind of arranging things in that, but it's also, um, kind of a music rhythm game in a way, um, where it's, uh, designed by a drummer was apparently the one who came up with the game. Um, and, uh, in all these different types of blocks that, uh, things are hitting, then they make different kind of percussion sounds and uh, creates like a very soothing rhythm uh, and even frankly when you have the the wrong solution it sounds pretty nice <laughs> um, and so that's um, it's something where as far as puzzle games go it's definitely meant to be very zen um, where I think personally I often find uh, myself very frustrated and uh, upset when I'm like towards the very end of like a puzzle game and on the hardest levels and feel stuck with the solution and like the very just kind of calm meditative environment of it and it's like oh no it's okay it's okay that it's it's not solved. so um i thought that was actually pretty interesting
1: i really appreciated that there is a lot of texture in this game all of the art is hand painted there's kind of nice. chalk look uh there's uh, it's not just the kind of watercolor blur you get on some things. They definitely have got a bunch of, um, it's an Aztec theme, I suppose, is the best way to describe it. Um, a lot of different uh, interesting borders apply to things. The different tiles for the different tones have um, unique artwork. Uh, everything looks very layered and that applies to the sound design as well. When you strike different blocks, um, it's kind of like a laser bouncing off the blocks, and whenever the little dots hit, it makes a yeah. sound. That sound um, both has like a drum beat and a an overtone, so you get uh, mm-hmm. almost a melody coming out of it. Uh, there's birds in the background, so even when you're not striking anything, there's a bit of kind of a rainforest vibe coming through. Hmm. So I, I feel like it's really uh, got that intentionality that we look for in a puzzle game, and it's super zen. Again, if you don't hit the button, um, it's not like anyone's shooting you. <laughs> like, it's just bouncing blocks. And um, I didn't play it with headphones, but I can imagine if I needed to chill out, this might be something I reach for with headphones on in my office.
0: I haven't played this one, but I did take some time to listen to part of the soundtrack, which is on Bandcamp. The the uh, uh, So I, I don't know how this is meant to be pronounced. It's uh, scientific or S-C-N-T-F-C is the uh, the name of the artist and they're the same person that did uh, the Oxenfree soundtrack among others so we've talked about them on this show before i think we really liked the oxen free soundtrack and um so i it's obviously one of these things where the, the the music is partially generated by the levels so i'm not really sure how representative the soundtrack is of sort of that experience but it sounded really good um so i i'm really looking forward to playing this one it's the one of these that i have the least experience with um just Due to time, I didn't, didn't get around to trying this one, but I think I'm gonna now. It's uh, looks really neat.
1: Yeah, the animations alone are pretty cute. I mean, like a high-pitched noise will happen when you get kind of the more anxious of the chimps, but when you hit one of those more zen animals, it's a really low basso tone. It's that kind of stuff yeah. that, that makes me <laughs> really happy.
0: Also, I kind of yeah. had the perfect uh, experience with this game because I, I... I downloaded all of these games, uh, for my flight home from, uh, Bulgaria, uh, this week, uh, where I was for work. And so that's a long flight. I had tons of layovers too. So I was playing a lot of mobile games and just disappearing into this in a, uh, in a, you know, just, just chilling out, uh, with headphones on playing this game. Uh, it's a really nice experience, really great for, you know, commuters and flying and things like that. Oh yeah, yeah. That's actually, yeah. I'm, now that you mention it, I have a flight coming up. I'm going to download this and <laughs> that's definitely on my
2: list. Yeah. The, and earlier with the, with Ordia, Ordea, y'all mentioned how it w- kind of looked like a, a Hawaiian shirt. This really looks like a, a oh, yeah. Hawaiian shirt come to life. <laughs> um, like with little like tiki Easter Island heads. Yeah. That's kind I of, kind of expected Reagan
0: to like this because, uh, Listeners may or may not know Reagan's a collector of uh, tiki barware, so uh, I figured this would be stylistically right up your alley, right, Reg? It it does look pretty rad. I just haven't had time to give it a shot yet, but I'm (laughs) I'm definitely going to soon. Um, The last game that won this year uh, is Thumper Pocket Edition, and uh, I have played Thumper. I think Shane's played quite a bit more Thumper than I have, and but neither of us has played the Pocket Edition. Laura, I believe you have, right? Do you want to talk about it? Oh, I played
1: a ton of this. Thumper, I think we've been talking about since I played it in a van. That sounds way sketchier than it actually was <laughs> at Bitbash. <laughs> um, please come into my van and play my demo. Um, I did, and Thumper was amazing in that like crazy, sound-outfitted dark man. Oh, wow. But um, honestly, the Pocket Edition is when I uh, needed Thumper the most. I was um, at Thanksgiving with so many lovely people, but i have been with them for quite a long time, and I needed some introvert time. And I went off to go play a game for the podcast. It is now a, almost a year later, and I can say I played the game for the podcast, so I didn't lie. Um, what makes us great is it's um, Thumper is, uh, they call it like a rhythm shooter game, an action rhythm they, game.
0: They, they like use like the that. phrase the, rhythm violence, which I always rhythm, love. Rhythm
1: violence, yes. yes. <laughs> yes. Um, which cool. is to
0: say the rhythm is doing violence to your entire state of being while you play it. Oh,
1: yeah if you've ever played an endless runner, if you ever played temple run, it's basically the same controls, but a much more intense experience because you are, you're hitting to jump. You are, um, swiping up to, um, or you're swiping up to jump. You are hitting to hit targets, kind of like, um, guitar hero. And then you are swiping to the side to get around a really goopy track. But with the haptic feedback and, uh, the, easy access to headphones and just the intensity of this game Um, pocket edition is a completely valid and really enjoyable way to play thumper (laughs) Um, i don't always have the privilege to use my tv and my entire living room to play this in the immersive way i'd like to (laughs) because i live with someone else pocket edition lets me have um,
0: just as intensive an experience so highly endorse so most of the thumper i've played has been in vr and when this game first came out, um, I think it launched on PlayStation and marketed their PSVR mode pretty heavily. Um, in fact, I think when it very first came out, it might've been PSVR exclusive, although I'm not a hundred percent on that. Um, and I've always thought it was an odd choice. I think maybe they were making that choice because PSVR at the time was a kind of a hot, uh, well, I mean, I don't know how hot it was, but it was it was you know an interesting angle for them to take. Um, and this game, you know, if you glance at it, it's not the sort of immersive thing you expect a VR experience to be. Uh, it is, you know, you're you're looking at a uh, a little skating bug on a track, and it's not first person. It's you know this decidedly third person experience, and also it's a uh, it's a music rhythm game. I will say that like the VR actually really did help my experience of the game though, and I love playing music games in VR because. You're naturally gonna put on headphones and you're in it in such a way that there's no distractions. Um, So this game is rad in VR, but it's really, I've always, ever since the first time I played it, I thought like, well, this doesn't really have to be VR though, right? This doesn't need to be played in VR. And it's kind of cool that this can span the gamut from being a totally immersive VR experience, put on your headset and goggles and, and, you know, dive in all the way to something that you can play in short bursts on your phone, without being so deeply immersed in it. And it's pretty cool to see them try all these approaches and have it work for this
2: game design. Yeah, and as <laughs> it's funny um, talking about this one right after Ello, um, just in terms of Ello being uh, then music-themed at least um, mm-hmm. and incredibly zen um, and very relaxing. This is uh, definitely likely to give you a very... Fast heart rate. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely very intense and uh, kind of the opposite in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, I don't know why I decided that was my relaxing game for Thanksgiving, but it did take <laughs> me to <into> another place. <laughs> it did stress me out, and then going back and sitting on
0: the couch seemed like a, a good idea. Sometimes Thanksgiving, you know, we really need to, we don't need to relax, we need to like work something out.
1: Yeah, perhaps that was it. Again, I really did love every single person there. I just had been around people
0: for too many days. <laughs> Understood. Well, the nice thing about talking about the Apple Design Awards is that it's always kind of a reminder to uh, to reflect on So, I mean, all of us are iOS users and Apple is a important company to me personally and I think to all of us, you know. I think we can say that about Mark for sure. Um <laughs> And it's always nice to kind of take the opportunity once a year to reflect on like, where is Apple in the gaming space? And like what, so the, the games that they choose to give awards to always kind of say something about what Apple wants to say about games on their platform. Now that we've talked about all the games, what do these mean about Apple and games in 2019? What are they saying by awarding these specific games?
1: to me, it's port to our platform. And if you're going to only launch on ours, it needs to be kind of, a one touch, uh, quickie polished game for us to go through, because these are, if they weren't a port, they were simple mobile first mechanics that were polished in relatively small experiences. These are not the ambitious games they have praised in the past. Um, I mean, I know they gave it for crossy road, but like a lot of the games <laughs> they, they apply are like really, really ambitious, crazy sized games. So, Um, or there's always a little bit of a left field weirdo too. Not so much this year. I feel like all of these were perfectly nice games. I don't know if any of these are going to be anyone's favorite on iOS. Like, Thumper might be your favorite game, but you might've
0: become your favorite game
1: elsewhere. Um, surprised by that.
0: I I think your point about this being a message of port to our platform is a pretty important one. Um, like Apple, I think, you know, we... (sighs) We haven't really talked too much about Apple Arcade on this show yet, but um, so if you're if you're not paying attention to Apple news, Apple has announced that they have a new plan um, for for gaming on their platforms, and that includes the iPhone and iPad, but also TVOS and Mac OS. And their plan is that I think in order to support uh, more full fledged gaming experiences, you know, a, a full premium games have basically abandoned Apple platforms. Um, You know, you're only seeing a a handful of notable premium games each year. Most of what you're seeing are freemium games, like Asphalt 9, for example. And um, so I think... as a way of trying to support full-fledged game experiences on their platform, Apple is essentially becoming a publisher, paying to have games produced, and then will be releasing them as part of a subscription service um, rather than, uh, you know, individual purchases per game. Um, And this might be the last year that, I mean, this will, will be the last year that we'll be seeing an Apple Design Awards without Apple Arcade being part of that conversation. But I think asking people to port Good games to Apple platforms is Apple's whole deal right now. I think they've lost the war and probably know it of being like the the origin point for full fledged game experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to produce a uh, you know something that's a mobile native experience, sure, iPhone is always going to be the first place that you go. But if you're going to produce something like the Gardens Between. Mm-hmm people would be kidding themselves to expect that iOS would be the point of origin for a game like that. So port yeah. things to our platforms is definitely the message here.
2: Um, one thing worth noting for Apple being a publisher, like they're commissioning, like trying to get new games for iOS and the Mac and for this uh, subscription service. But um, they only get to be the only require to be the um, exclusive exclusive mobile platform meaning like phone Mm -hmm. um so it can still be on switch uh on any other platform so i think it's still going to be a lot of games that might be uh if not ported but multi-platform at launch uh and i think the hope is more to be included in the initial release rather than being the exclusive platform uh that it's on uh or the origin point of Mm -hmm of these games.
1: Yeah, I feel like they've got to be sweating the Switch because a lot of times the mobile port of choice is the Switch. So it's like, hey, I'm going out on Steam, uh, Xbox or PlayStation and Switch and we're seeing an iOS much later and it used to be that iOS might have come out at launch or a week or two later. So I think Switch is really delaying quite a few iOS releases. Um, Not sure what Apple is going to do to woo developers, uh, especially if they don't want to be part of uh, Apple Arcade.
0: Yeah, the biggest change technically that they're making here, I think a big barrier for porting these console developers know they can make money on a console, right? You know, you you can put a game on, on something like the Switch or even something like PlayStation 4 and you can charge 15, 20 bucks for it, where on iOS that would be absolutely unheard of. So that's one factor, and the other limiting factor that there, is probably that would prevent them from making those ports is controls. You know, if you design a game, if you're if you're going to be starting on a platform like the PlayStation Four, um, you're designing your game around a controller. And Apple's uh, Apple's strategy with controllers up to now has been absolutely ridiculous. If you listen to last week's episode, um, I had a whole spiel about how excited I am uh, that Apple is finally. Uh, a lot going to allow you with iOS 13 to pair actual, real, not crap game controllers to your to your devices, including iPhones, iPads, the Apple TV. I don't know; they didn't make any specific announcements about um, Macs, but both of them already kind of work on Mac if you're willing to install a driver yeah. for the for the Xbox One. Um, I uh, what do you guys think about like the, that? Like, I, I think that's an important change, um, but I wonder wonder how. Apple feels about that. Like, do you think this is them sort of surrendering the idea that, okay, no, people can't have full game experiences without a controller? Or like, what does this, what does the controller situation mean?
1: I think that they finally let you start, you know, controlling your PlayStation remotely. The Steam link is working. Like now that they're letting Mm. you control consoles third party, I think they realize if we're going to open the doors, we need to actually open the doors because PlayStation let you link, and I was like, cool, I don't have a controller. This is not going to help me in the slightest. (laughs) Um, Like, what would this do? Like, I've just downloaded this app, and I'm not going to use it.
0: Yeah, But if I actually can
1: use my PlayStation controller, great. Like, I can actually play this stuff remotely on my iPad. So I I think it's just kind of a one-two punch of if you're going to open... They were making some little baby steps, but they were pretty useless baby steps, unless you had a really bad, expensive, MiFi controller. So... Mm, yeah. it just kind of is finishing the circle to me. Um, it, yeah. It's not a new strategy, but it's fixing an old one that was half-ass.
2: And I, I would bet that a lot of the reason that this has been enabled now uh, is not coincidental with uh, Apple Arcade coming. Yeah, um, I would. Yeah. If I had to guess, it would be something that probably in talking to publisher or uh, talking to game developers. A number of these larger studios probably said, um, we're interested, but we're not going to develop an entirely new control scheme. Control to, schema. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, and, you know, it's, it, it, the MFI controller program has been such a failure. Like, I'm sure Apple has always said, oh, we have that. You know, you can go out and buy an MFI controller. And the the reality is that no one did that it, over years of their availability. And uh, no decent MFI controllers even really no. exist. <laughs> and they're, the ones that do are really expensive. So, yeah. And, and uh, you know, just in general for AAA games, um, touch controls have historically been a, just a critical roadblock. Like, you can't make a, a AAA game that works on a touchscreen and that people don't immediately comment that they'd rather have a, a, a controller. I can only think about, like, how much better the situation would be on things like the Apple TV if this had been the case from the very start. You know, with the oh, Apple yeah. TV, it was just a nightmare of, like, mixed messages and, uh, you know, shooting themselves in the foot where they, when they first came out, The future they of said,
2: TV is apps. Oh, God. <laughs>
0: you know, they first said, every single game on this platform has to be playable with the Siri remote, which is the most limited piece <laughs> <God>. of junk- <laughs>
1: Just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. What are you talking about? It it. Like it's got a touchpad.
0: Touch is all you need for or, oh my God, uh, anything. I mean, the the, the Siri remote is, is a joke, but like at first, every game that came out on the platform had to be playable with the Siri remote. Then they finally said, OK, um, and, and you can offer MFI controller support as an additional option, but you can't require it it took over a year, I think, for them to reverse that position and say, it's okay if you want to release a game on the Apple TV that requires a controller. But then that means that, you know, you've got to have somebody who has an Apple TV goes out and buys an MFI controller to play potentially just one game that'll probably be on other platforms that they already own a controller for. So continued shoot footing, foot shooting. And I don't know, the, the whole thing is like, If there'd been an option for people who cared, anybody who cares about games already has either a PlayStation controller or an Xbox controller in their house. And if they'd been able to use that from the very beginning, maybe the Apple TV as a gaming platform wouldn't be such a complete joke. But uh, it is what it is. Here we are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> here we are. Yeah, I I, I I am I'm excited about that change, but I'm not actually that optimistic that this late in the game it's going to make that big of a difference. Um, but what I do think it's going to make a big difference on is the iPad. Uh, lots of kids yeah. have iPads. They all want to play Fortnite. Um, you know, if you uh, Fortnite supports controllers, and now they'll be able to use their Xbox controller to use, to play that on their iPad. That's going to be huge. So yeah, this is a exciting <laughs> potentially exciting next year for games on Apple platforms I mean this year maybe not the most exciting Apple design awards that we've discussed uh, but next year we are going to be talking about games on the uh on the arcade platform there's gonna be controller support for a whole bunch of stuff um you know there's Obviously, things like the Mac platform are changing pretty fast right now. So uh, hopefully, we'll have a very interesting uh, 2020 to talk about. Uh, here at the end of the show, we like to do a segment we call What's Making Us Happy this week. Uh, so
2: let's start with our guest, Mark. What's making you happy this week? Sure. Um, so recently, uh, I adopted a cat. Her name Yay! is Pigeon. Um She is the most energetic cat that I have ever met and, uh, has, it's the first cat that I have had. Um, and so I've been trying to learn how to best take care of her, um, and make her not, uh, attack my feet, uh, randomly. Um, and, um, then that has led me, uh, through various books and resources to a reality TV show, (laughs) <laughs> called uh my cat from hell starring jackson galaxy on animal planets
1: excellent which wow.
2: uh has been a, a guilty pleasure the past week um and uh have greatly been enjoying that wow, um, some bad kitties on that show oh yeah very bad cats which also makes me feel much better about pigeon so. <laughs> <laughs> where can you watch that because that sounds great Uh, you, the only place it streams is Animal Planet's website if you have, like, a cable login. Uh, okay. So, uh.
0: to scrounge something up that sounds yeah there's
2: also a few episodes that you know can fall off the back of a truck so yeah
1: yeah and you can find like eight minute clips on
2: youtube it looks like yeah which no there's
1: we'll probably if you don't need the full if
2: you don't need the full 45 minute episode oh my god they're 45 minutes of bad cats that's something it's it's two cats per episode so like yeah it's it's a lot
0: Wow. Okay. I mean this the facial hair on this guy that I'm seeing oh, yeah. in Jackson in the video, Galaxy, that's also the a cat lot. daddy.
2: Yeah. And
0: <laughs> is he a cat whisperer? Does he solve these cat from hell problems? Or does he just, you know, venture bravely into hell to see these various evil cats?
2: He's a cat behaviorist, so he helps he helps solve these problems. Um and uh he usually gets clawed up a bunch. Um and uh you know a lot of the I'm gonna say the majority of it is the owners don't want to have anything that looks like they don't want to have cat furniture in their house or mm-hmm. put a litter box somewhere that the cat would like it to be um and probably pick up the cat wrong that's like the majority of it <laughs> it's, hmm. it's why you have why you have a cat that's terrified and very angry um is you're rough housing with it like it's a dog and uh, you have a litter box that's in the basement uh, and next to the water heater or something <laughs> like that. Yeah,
1: that would do it. From the casting list, it's excessive growling, hissing, scratching, biting, ruining furniture, tearing the house upside down, escaping, etc. Are <laughs> suggested behaviors if you want to submit your cat from hell.
2: Yeah, no, it's there's some of them are definitely like one was like a feral cat that they had um, fostered and wound up taking in just because if they brought it back to the shelter, it was going to be put down. Um, But they just had a feral cat living in their house, and uh, so that was definitely one where it's like it's not so much the people as much as this really is a behavior issue. Um, But uh, no, it's it's a definitely a fun show, Um, very very silly, and uh, you know learned a couple of tricks for for helping to catify the apartment. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good pick. Uh, Laura, what's making you happy this week?
1: So uh, we've talked a little bit about Game Club, but I was ecstatic that Space Miner has finally uh, gone into uh, test flight so you can test drive that. Uh, Space Miner has been one of my favorite games for a long time. I got it and uh, over the course of like a couple days when I was supposed to be doing other things... Uh, played uh, through pretty much the first campaign. I'm going to hold out on a full review because I hope we can cover it in the future with a larger Game Club episode, but uh, Space Miner has definitely been a highlight this week
0: for my packing breaks. Nice. I downloaded that too, and... um... You know, we're hoping to do a full episode on game club uh, because it's an exciting new development in the iOS game space sort of like uh, Apple Arcade is um, So if you're interested look up game club uh, you can get on their discord and get access to the betas of all the games that they are uh, bringing around. So that'll be uh, so that'll be hopefully an upcoming episode. So my pick for this week is also a game that I don't want to over talk about here because I'm actually hoping we can cover it on the show even though it's kind of not exactly the sort of game that we cover. Um, I've been playing a ton of Outer Wilds this week um, and if it, Outer Wilds came totally out of the blue for me and I 100% recommend it and I, I don't want to tell you too much about it now because it is a game about discovery and a lot of the discoveries in it are... Um, really surprising. So uh, I'm going to keep my description here totally spoiler free. If we do an episode on it, it'll probably be more of a spoiler cast. Uh, Outer Wilds is a Windows and Xbox one game. uh, So you have to have one of those platforms, but it's, um, it's a exploration game about a tiny solar system. The entire solar system is about 30 kilometers across and you are an alien that lives on a tiny little planet called timber hearth, very rustic, a little tiny planet with one village, um, but uh, full of little uh, log log cabins, but they have a space program. And so you're exploring your tiny little solar system, which has about six planets in it. And it's mostly about kind of just venturing out in your tiny rickety, mostly made of wood spacecraft to explore (laughs) the the six planets of your tiny little solar system. We're talking about uh, planets so small that- with a jetpack and a running start, you can break orbit. The, the game is mostly about the exploration of all of this. Um, but I don't think it's spoiling too much, because this is in a lot of the reviews and description. The game is also a kind of a Groundhog Day game. You, know, you are on your first space flight. You take off. You start exploring your little tiny solar system. Uh, and within about 22 minutes, the sun goes supernova, and you start over. And you start with all of the memories that you you had, including any like data that you've logged in your ship's computer, um, but the entire solar system resets every 22 minutes. And you're within that 22 minute loop. You need to go to all these different planets and try to discover details about there's a sort of a precursor species that lived in your solar system before you. And there's all these details to discover about them. That's the main sort of central mystery of the game. Um, and also the mystery of why is this why is the time resetting every twenty two minutes, and it's I I would actually compare it a little bit to Obradin because the mystery of it is very much about this sort of like examining it's almost a solar system scale walking simulator it's all about examining uh, the you know the things left behind by this previous species, finding other people from your species. There's, there's other astronauts who are out there exploring alongside you, um, finding them and learning all the history of your solar system, trying to sort of unlock the mysteries of it. And uh, like Oberdin, it also has an extraordinarily good menu system for cataloging the information that you learn. So in your ship, you've got a computer that has a kind of a digital version of a uh one of those conspiracy theory boards where you've got a little cards tacked up and little <laughs> little uh little like strings running between them it's kind of like that and it keeps track of everything that you learn for you which is really helpful for me because in a game that's about exploration and about like learning little details i don't want to have to keep those notes myself it helps kind of help you make those connections so it's really smart and it came out of nowhere it's a genius game. So I, I 100% recommend it. I'm hoping even though it's about a 20 hour game, uh, that we can make an exception and do it on this show anyway, because I want to do a spoiler cast about <laughs> it. I want to talk about all of the nitty gritty details of it with, uh, with at least some of my co-hosts. So I'm really looking forward to doing that hopefully, but even if we don't with get
1: just to do the that, co-hosts you like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, probably. Uh, well, I, I do think it's, it's a little on the long side. So Laura, Yeah, maybe
1: the co-hosts that are not moving. Across yeah. You're the not going to be able to what I'm hearing. time. Yeah, <laughs> it. No,
0: I mean, so on, you compared it to Obra Dinn and you and, you and Laura kind of streamed that. And I only got to check in a little bit. Oh, uh, I really wish but, that I could play this alongside somebody like with you, Laura, for example, well, no, I'd be, I'd be happy to, to tune in for some chunks of it for sure. Uh, and we could, we could figure out some of these mysteries together and, uh, and try that out. Maybe we should give that a spin. That sounds fun. Yeah. If you have the oppor- opportunity to play this game with somebody else there on the couch with you, I think that's probably a good way to play it. So that's, what's making me happy this week. Oh, and it's on the, um, if you're buying it for PC, um, it is available on the Epic store and it's part of their sale that they've been still doing. So you can, it's a $25 game, but you can get it for 15. So that's what I recommend. Uh, Shane, what's making you happy this week? Well, um, there's uh, a new book that came out and I, I just, you know, like I said, I was going to be having some really super long flights to and from uh, Bulgaria. And so I was seeing, oh, well, looks like a new Neil Stevenson book is out. And it's on a topic that I always really enjoy, which is, uh, you know, the singularity and brains being copied into computers. So, okay, (laughs) I'll I'll give that a I'll check that out. Um, People might remember there's a certain age of nerd. That if you are that age of nerd, Neil Stevenson's most famous works all came out while you were, you know, a teenager, and uh, you'll you'll always have a, a a certain love of Neil Stevenson, which I do. I, mm. I haven't read all of his books, but The Diamond Age. Um, I go back to that every now and then. It's still a really good one. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, you know, for me, Cryptonomicon was I think mean, was a formative book. Uh, I've uh, I've always it got me more interested in. Uh, computers, and in uh, World War II history, and all sorts of things. And what is interesting about this book, Fall, or Dodge in Hell, it's kind of a, a book where, what if the kind of current or or near future Silicon Valley set was responsible for uh, establishing and maintaining the afterlife? <laughs> <laughs> and it's it It takes this sort of take of like okay, so this guy's a there's this character, Richard Dodge Forthrast, who actually happens to be a character from another Neil Stevenson book, but uh, in the very first chapter of the book, uh he goes in well, the first ch- like fifty pages of this book are actually kind of boring because uh it's just this character, Dodge, getting up in the morning and taking a shower and doing stuff like. Spending two full pages looking at like soap bubbles and thinking, gosh, that would be hard to simulate in a digital world, wouldn't it? And, and then he goes in for a routine medical procedure and dies on the table. And the drama begins with like his disposition of remains uh, includes basically freezing him cryogenically and trying to preserve him in a way that he can be restored. And well, the state of the art on that uh, turns out to be digital scanning and this leads to kind of a, a a vision of the future where that leads to like all humanity eventually being stuck in the same mental process that this guy is woken up in, and the the thing that really um, you know this is a book that's going to appeal to you if you really like myth and like um, legend type storytelling because the majority of the story takes place in this digital afterlife where you know, you're just sort of seeing a lot of biblical and fantastical and legendary stories kind of recreate themselves in using this new cast of characters, which is kind of interesting. And and it's very weird. And I I think Neil Stevenson has a lot of fun with it. Um, there's, there's another thing I, I, I think is amazing about this book and it's this sort of vision of the near future that it has, uh, there's a sort of novella length chapter of the book. This may be like the second big thing that happens that is this road trip across an America that has been uh, poisoned by uh, false information, basically destroying not just the internet, but contagiously through the internet society. And- Oh, you mean um, 2019. Yes, but imagine <laughs> 2019. So uh, you remember that when Neil Stevenson wrote about like, Corporate America, like, destroying actual America. He came up with this whole burb clave scenario. Do you remember, like, the the world? Of course, so there's always this great background going on in a Neal Stephenson book. Because he'll have this book that's about something like, oh, the the new world of virtual reality. Or, in this case, the new world of this digital afterlife. Uh, But he'll have a background going on that's always, like, really wild. And in this case, like, it includes... Um, you know, backwoods, um, people who have literally been brainwashed by like AR goggles that are, uh, where like all the content they get is algorithmically generated and designed to just to hold their eyeballs for one more second. And that's all they know. Uh, or, or there's, uh, gigantic flaming crosses being put up on the side of a highway across from an Arby's by. A uh, religious organization called the um, Leviticans, uh, who are literally just uh, uh, Fox News weaponized into a new philosophy. Anyway, the book has a lot going on and it's a lot of fun. And if you have read and enjoyed Neil Stevenson books in the past, I totally recommend it. Yeah, this sounds way more appealing to me than anything he's written in years. I've kind of like looked at the summaries of several of his more recent books and just said, "Mm, not for me. But that actually does sound really appealing. So um, I'm going to check that out. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, One final thing is if you if you I've, I've read recommended on the podcast this book before uh permutation city by greg egan if you liked that one you're gonna like this i actually was just gonna say that because i I read that on your recommendation and it was it was also super rad so um totally totally into it um so thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode of the short game and uh once again thank you to mark for joining us for his third consecutive year on the show coming back to talk about the apple design awards thank you mark
2: yeah no it's a fun tradition it's the most uh consistently i have uh had any sort of podcast with me released so (laughs) (laughs)
0: well uh, hoping that next year we'll have a whole lot of interesting stuff to talk about with Apple Arcade and all that other stuff
2: definitely look forward to it
0: (laughs) and you can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net where you'll find a contact form and uh, it's a great way to let us know about short games that you're playing or that you're interested in Uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff coming up and it always helps for us to hear from our listeners and tell us what what you're tracking or what you've played and you think was great. Um, and of course, you can also reach us by email, info at the shortgame.net or on Twitter at underscore shortgame. Uh, you can find me on the internet at Reagan K on Twitter. Uh, Mark, where can people find you and your work?
2: Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter at MC Bramhill um, and you can find Welcome to Macintosh at macintosh.fm And if you want to hear a daily two-minute bird podcast, uh, you can find BirdNote at (laughs) birdnote.org.
0: Awesome. And uh, Laura, where can people find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash.
0: And Shane, where can people find you? You can find me also on Twitter at 8BitShane. And thank you for listening to The Short Game.